Act Three of The Old Bachelor by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One. Scene The Street. Sylvia and Lucy. Will he not come then? Yes, yes, come. I warrant him. If you will go in and be ready to receive him. Why did you not tell me? Whom mean you? Whom you should mean. Hartwell. Senseless creature. I meant my vain love. You may as soon hope to recover your own maidenhood as his love. Therefore, e'en set your heart at rest, and in the name of opportunity, mind your own business. Strike Hartwell home before the bait's worn off the hook. Age will come. He nibbled fairly yesterday, and no doubt will be eager enough today to swallow the temptation. Well, since there's no remedy, yet tell me, for I would know, though to the anguish of my soul, how did he refuse? Tell me, how did he receive my letter? In anger or in scorn? Neither, but what was ten times worse, with damned, senseless indifference. By this light I could have spit in his face. Receive it. Why, he received it as I would one of your lovers that should come empty-handed, as a court lord does his mercer's bill, or a begging dedication. He received it as if it had been a letter from his wife. What? Did he not read it? Hummed over it, gave you his respects, and said he would take time to peruse it. But then he was in haste respects and peruse it uh, he's gone and araminta has bewitched him from me oh how the name of rival fires my blood i could curse him both eternal jealousy attend her love and disappointment meet his oh that i could revenge the torment he has caused methinks i feel the woman strong within me and vengeance kindles in the room of love I have that in my head may make mischief. How, dear Lucy? You know Araminta's dissembled coyness as one, and keeps him hers. Could we persuade him that she loves another? No, you're out. Could we persuade him that she dotes on him himself? Contrive a kind letter as from her. T'would disgust his nicety and take away his stomach impossible it will never take trouble not your head let me alone i will inform myself of what passed between them today and about it straight hold i'm mistaken or that's hartwell who stands talking at the corner tis he go get you in madam receive him pleasantly dress up your face in innocence and smiles and dissemble the very want of dissimulation. You know what will take him. Tis as hard to counterfeit love as it is to conceal it. But I'll do my weak endeavour, though I fear I have not art. Hang art, madam, and trust to nature for dissembling. Man was by nature woman's cully made. We never are but by ourselves betrayed. Scene 2 Hartwell, Vainlove and Belmore following. Hist, hist, 
Is that not Hartwell going to Sylvia? He's talking to himself, I think. Prithee, let's try if we can hear him. Why, whither in the devil's name am I a-going now? Hmm, let me think. Is not this Sylvia's house? The cave of that enchantress? And which, consequently, I ought to shun as I would infection? To enter here is to put on the envenomed shirt, to run into the embraces of a fever, and, in some raving fit, to be led to plunge myself into that more consuming fire, a woman's arms. Ah, well recollected, I will recover my reason and be gone. Now Venus forbid. Hush. Well, why do you not move? Feet, do your office. Not one inch. No, forget I'm caught. There stands my north, and thither my needle points. How oh, could I curse myself, yet cannot repent? Oh, thou delicious, damned, dear, destructive woman! So death, how the young fellows will hoot me! I shall be the jest of the town. Nay, in two days I expect to be chronicled in ditty, and sung in woeful ballad to the tune of the superannuated maiden's comfort or the bachelor's fall. And upon the third I shall be hanged in effigy, pasted up for the exemplary ornament of necessary houses and cobbler's stalls. Death! I can't think on it. I'll run into the danger to lose the apprehension. Scene 3 Belmore, Vainlove. A very certain remedy, probatum est. Ha, 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 poor George, thou art in the right. Thou hast sold thyself to laughter. The ill-natured town will find the jest just where thou hast lost it. Ha, ha, how a struggled, like an old lawyer between two fees. Or a young wench between pleasure and reputation. Or as you did to-day, when half afraid you snatched a kiss from Araminta. She has made a quarrel on't. Pa, women are only angry at such offences to have the pleasure of forgiving them. And I love to have the pleasure of making my peace. I should not esteem a pardon if too easily won. Thou dost not know what thou wouldst be at, whether thou wouldst have her angry or pleased. Couldst thou be content to marry Araminta? Could you be content to go to heaven? Hmm, not immediately. In my conscience, not heartily. I'd do a little more good in my generation first, in order to deserve it. Nor I to marry Araminta till I merit her. But how the devil dost thou expect to get her, if she never yield? That's true, but I would— Marry her without her consent. Thou art a riddle beyond woman. Scene four. To them, Setter. Trusty Setter, what tidings? How goes the project? As all lewd projects do, sir, where the devil prevents our endeavours with success. A good hearing, Setter. Well, I leave you with your engineer. And hast thou provided necessaries? All, all, sir. 
the large sanctified hat and the little precise band with a swinging long spiritual cloak to cover carnal knavery not forgetting the black patch which tribulation spintex wears as i'm informed upon one eye as a penal mourning for the ogling offences of his youth and some say with that eye he first discovered the frailty of his wife well in this fanatic father's habit i will confess letitia rather prepare her for confession sir by helping her to sin be at your master's lodging in the evening i shall use the robes scene five setter alone i shall sir i wonder to which of these two gentlemen i do most properly appertain the one uses me as his attendant the other being better acquainted with my parts employs me as a pimp why that's much the more honourable employment by all means i follow one as my master the other follows me as his conductor scene six to him lucy there's the hang-dog his man i had a power over him in the reign of my mistress but he is too true a valet de chambre not to affect his master's faults and consequently is revolted from his allegiance undoubtedly tis impossible to be a pimp and not a man of parts that is without being politic diligent secret wary and so forth and to all this valiant as hercules that is passively valiant and actively obedient ah setter what a treasure is here lost for want of being known here's some villainy afoot he's so thoughtful maybe i may discover something in my mask worthy sir a word with you puts on her mask why if i were known i might come to be a great man not to interrupt your meditation and i should not be the first that has procured his greatness by pimping now poverty and the pox light upon thee for a contemplative pimp oh war thou who thus maliciously has awakened me from my dreams of glory speak thou vile disturber oh thy most vile cogitations thou poor conceited wretch how wert thou valuing thyself upon thy master's employment for he's the head pimp to mr belmauer good words damsel or i shall but how dost thou know my master or me yes i know both master and man to be to be men perhaps nay faith like enough i often march in the rear of my master and enter the breaches which he has made ay the breach of faith which he has begun thou traitor to thy lawful princess why how now prithee who art lay by that worldly face and produce your natural visor no sirrah i'll keep it on to abuse thee and leave thee without hopes of revenge 
oh i begin to smoke ye thou art some forsaken abigail we have dallied with heretofore and art come to tickle thy imagination with remembrance of iniquity past no thou pitiful flatterer of thy master's imperfections thou mockin made up of the shreds and parings of his superfluous fopperies thou art my mistress's foul self composed of her sullen iniquities and clothing hang thee beggar's cur thy master is but a mumper in love lies canting at the gate but never dares presume to enter the house thou art the wicket to thy mistress's gate to be open to all comers in fine thou art the high road to thy mistress beast filthy toad i can hold no longer look and tremble unmasks how mrs lucy i wonder thou hast the impudence to look me in the face adds but who's in fault mistress of mine who flung the first stone who undervalued my function and who the devil could know you by instinct you could know my office by instinct and be hanged which you have slandered most abominably it vexes me not what you said about my person but that my innocent calling should be exposed and scandalized i cannot bear it nay faith lucy i'm sorry i'll own myself to blame though we were both in fault as to our offices come i'll make you any reparation swear i do swear to the utmost of my power to be brief then what is the reason your master did not appear to-day according to the summons i brought him to answer you as briefly he has a cause to be tried in another court come tell me in plain terms how forward he is with araminta too forward to be turned back although he's a little in disgrace at present about a kiss which he forced you and i can kiss lucy without all that stand off he's a precious jewel and therefore you'd have him to set in your lady's locket where is he now he'll be in the piazza presently remember to-day's behaviour let me see you with a penitent face what no token of amity lucy you and i don't use to part with dry lips no no avaunt i'll not be slabbered and kissed now i'm not in the humour i'll not quit you so i'll follow and put you into the humour scene seven sir joseph whittle bluff and so out of your unwanted generosity and good nature back i'm good natured i can't help it you have given him a note upon fondlewife for a hundred pound ay ay poor fellow he ventured fairfoot you have disobliged me in it for i have occasion for the money and if you would look me in the face again and live go and force him to re-deliver you the note go and bring it to me hither i'll stay here for you 
You may stay until the day of judgment, then, by the Lord Harry. I know better things than to be run through the guts for a hundred pounds. Why, I gave that hundred pound for being saved. And do you think, then, there were no danger? I'd be so ungrateful to take it from the gentleman again. Well, go to him for me. Tell him, I say, he must refund, or bilbles the world, and slaughter will ensue. If he refuse, tell him, but whisper that, tell him, I'll pink his soul. But whisper that softly to him. So softly that he shall never hear on, I warrant you. Why, what's a devil's the matter, bully? Are you mad, or do you think I'm mad? A gad, for my part, I don't love to be the messenger of ill news. Tis an ungrateful office, so tell him yourself. By these hilts I believe he frightened you into this composition. I believe you gave it him out of fear. Pure, paltry fear. Confess. No, no, Hanked, I was not afraid neither. Though I confess he did in a manner snap me up, yet I can't say that it was altogether out of fear, but partly to prevent mischief, for he was a devilish choleric fellow, and if my collar had been up to had, there would have been mischief done, that's flat. And yet I believe if you had been by, I would as sooner let him had a hundred of my teeth. Ad's heart, if he should come just now when I'm angry, I'll tell him. Mum. Scene 8. To them, Belmore Sharper. Thou art a lucky rogue. There's your benefactor. You ought to return him thanks now you have received the favour. Sir Joseph, your note was accepted, and the money paid at sight. I'm come to return my thanks. It won't be accepted so readily as the bill, sir. I doubt the knight repents, Tom. He looks like the knight of the sorrowful face. This is a double generosity. Do me a kindness and refuse my thanks. But I hope you are not offended that I offered them. Maybe I am, sir. Maybe I'm not, sir. Maybe I'm both, sir. What then? I hope I may be offended without any offence to you, sir. Heyday. Captain, what's the matter? You can tell. Mr. Sharper, the matter is plain. Sir Joseph has found out your trick, and does not care to be put upon, being a man of honour. Trick, sir? Aye, trick, sir, and won't be put upon, sir, being a man of honour, sir, and so, sir. Hark ye, Sir Joseph, a word with ye. In consideration of some favours lately received, I would not have you draw yourself into a premunier by trusting to that sign of a man there. That pot-gun charged with wind. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, Captain, come justify yourself. I'll give him the lie if you'll stand to it. Nay, then, I'll be beforehand with you. Take that oaf. Cuffs him. Captain, will you see this? Won't you pink his soul? Hush, tis not so convenient now. I shall find a time. What do you mutter about a time, rascal? You were the incendiary. There's to put you in mind of your time. A memorandum. Kicks him. Oh, this is your time, sir. You had best make use on it. I, Gadden, so I will. There's again for you. Kicks him. You are obliging, sir, but this is too public a place to thank you in. But in your ear, you are to be seen again. I, thou inimitable coward, and to be felt, as for example. Kicks him. Ha, ha, ha! Prithee come away. Tis scandalous to kick this puppy unless a man were cold and had no other way to get himself a heat. 
Scene 9. Sir Joseph Bluff. Very well, very fine. But tis no matter. Is not this fine, Sir Joseph? Indifferent, a cat, in my opinion. Very indifferent. I'd rather go plain all my life than wear such finery. Death and hell to be affronted thus. I'll die before I suffer it. Draws. Oh, Lord, his anger was not raised before. Nay, dear Captain, don't be impassioned now he's gone. Put up, put up, dear back. Tis your Sir Joseph begs. Come, let me kiss thee so, so. Put up, put up. By heaven, tis not to be put up. What, bully? The affront. No, Agad, no more tis, for that's put up all already. Thy sword, I mean. Well, Sir Joseph, at your entreaty. Putting up his sword. But were not you, my friend, abused, and cuffed, and kicked? Aye, aye, so are you too, no matter, tis past. By the immortal thunder of great guns, tis false. He sucks not vital air who dares affirm it to this face. Looks big. To that face I grant you, Captain. No, no, I grant you, not to that face, by the Lord Harry. If you had put on your fighting face before, you had done his business. He durst as soon have kissed you as kicked you to your face. But a man can no more help what's done behind his back than what's said. Come, we'll think no more of what's past. I'll call a council of war within to consider of my revenge to come. Scene 10. Hartwell, Sylvia. Sylvia's apartment. Song. As Amoret and Thysiris lay, melting the hours in gentle play, joining faces, mingling kisses, and exchanging harmless blisses, he trembling cried with eager haste, Oh, let me feed as well as taste. I die if I'm not wholly blessed. After the song, a dance of antics. Indeed, it is very fine. I could look upon him all day. Well, has this prevailed for me? And will you look upon me? If you could sing and dance so, I should love to look upon you too. Why, twas I sung and danced. I gave music to the voice and life to their measures. Look you here, Sylvia. Pulling out a purse and chinking it. Here are songs and dances, poetry and music. Hark, how sweetly one guinea rhymes to another, and how they dance to the music of their own chink. This buys all to other, and this thou shalt have. This and all that I am worth for the purchase of thy love. Say... Is it mine, then? Huh? Speak, siren. Ugh, why do I look upon her? Yet I must. Speak, dear angel, devil, saint, witch. Do not rack me with suspense. Nay, don't stare at me so. You make me blush. I cannot look. Oh, manhood, where art thou? What am I come to, a woman's toy at these years? Death, a bearded baby for a girl to dandle. Oh, dotage, 
dotage. That ebb of that noble passion, lust, should ebb to this degree. No reflux of vigorous blood, but milky love supplies the empty channels and prompts me to the softness of a child, a mere infant, and would suck. Can you love me, Sylvia? Speak. I dare not speak until I believe you, and indeed I'm afraid to believe you yet. Death, how her innocence torments and pleases me. Lying child is indeed the art of love, and men are generally masters in it. But I'm so newly entered, you cannot distrust me of any skill in the treacherous mystery. Now, by my soul, I cannot lie, though it were to serve a friend or gain a mistress. Must you lie, then, if you say you love me? No, no. Dear ignorance, thou beauteous changeling, I tell thee I do love thee, and tell it for a truth, a naked truth which I'm ashamed to discover. But love, they say, is a tender thing that will smooth frowns and make calm an angry face, will soften a rugged temper and make ill-humoured people good. You look ready to fright one, and talk as if your passion were not love but anger. Tis both, for I am angry with myself when I am pleased with you. And a pox upon me for loving thee so well. Yet I must on. Tis a bearded arrow, and will more easily be thrust forward than drawn back. Indeed, if I were well assured you loved... But how can I be well assured? Take the symptoms, and ask all the tyrants of thy sex if their fools are not known by this party-coloured livery. I am melancholic when thou art absent. Look like an ass when thou art present. Wake for thee when I should sleep, and even dream of thee when I am awake. Sigh much, drink little, eat less, court solitude, am grown very entertaining to myself, and, as I am informed, very troublesome to everybody else. If this be not love, it is madness, and then it is pardonable. Nay, yet a more certain sign than all this, I give thee my money. Ah, but that is no sign, for they say gentlemen will give money to any naughty woman to come to bed with them. Oh, Gemini, I hope you don't mean so, for I won't be a whore. Hartwell, aside. The more is the pity. Nay, if you would marry me, you should not come to bed to me. You have such a beard and would so prickle one. But do you intend to marry me? Hartwell. Aside. That a fool should ask such a malicious question. Death, I shall be put in before I know where I am. However, I find I am pretty sure of her consent, if I am put to it. Marry you? No, no, I'll love you. Nay, but if you love me, you must marry me. 
what don't i know my father loved my mother and was married to her ay ay in old days people married where they loved but that fashion is changed child never tell me that i know it is not changed by myself for i love you and would marry you i'll have my beard shaved it shan't hurt thee and we'll go to bed no no i'm not such a fool neither but i can keep myself honest here i won't keep anything that's yours i hate you now throws the purse and i'll never see you again cause you'd have me be naught going damn her let her go and a good riddance yet so much tenderness and beauty and honesty together is a jewel stay sylvia but then to marry why every man plays the fool once in his life but to marry is playing the fool all one's life long what did you call me for i'll give thee all i have and thou shalt live with me in everything so like my wife the world shall believe it nay thou shalt think so thyself only let me not think so no i'll die before i'll be your whore as well as i love you hartwell aside a woman an ignorant may be honest when tis out of obstinacy and contradiction but sedath it is but a maybe and upon scurvy terms well farewell then if i can get out of sight i may get the better of myself well good-bye turns and weeps ah nay come we'll kiss at parting kisses her by heaven her kiss is sweeter than liberty i will marry thee there thou hast done it all my resolves melted in that kiss one more but when i am impatient till it be done i will not give myself liberty to think lest i should cool i will about a license straight in the evening expect me one kiss more to confirm me mad so <laughs> an old fox trapped scene eleven to her lucy bless me you frightened me i thought he had been come again and had heard me lord madam i met your lover in as much haste as if he had been going for a midwife he's going for a parson girl the forerunner of a midwife some nine months hence well i find dissembling to our sex is as natural as swimming to a negro we may depend upon our skill to save us at a plunge though till then we never make the experiment but how hast thou succeeded as you would wish since there is no reclaiming vain love i have found out a peak she has taken at him and have framed a letter that makes her sue for reconciliation first i know that will do walk in and i'll show it you come madam you're like to have a happy time on both your love and anger satisfied all that can charm our sex conspire to please you that woman sure enjoys a blessed night whom love and vengeance 
both at once delight. End of Act 3